On the show today, I'm joined by three incredible superstars. We've got Mark Shepard, Paul Amos, and Linda Ballantyne. They've all got major roles in the nerd world. Linda voices Sailor Moon, Paul's been in Lost Girl, and Mark is best known for his work in Supernatural. It's going to be a great show, so don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to the brand new episode of Benjamin Mayer McKay's Talk To Me. I'm your host, Benjamin, and we've got a jam-packed show for you today with three of the guests from the upcoming Supernova uh, pop culture convention in Adelaide and Brisbane. For long-time listeners of this show, you'll know that if you head down to a, a Supernova convention, you'll also see me hosting some of those panels. So uh, it's uh, always an exciting time. And now here is my first chat of the show with Paul Amos, a wonderful Welsh actor who got his start in theatre and has since been in shows like Lost Girl and also done the motion capture and voice for one of the Assassin's Creed games. It's a great chat. Here's Paul. Enjoy. Paul, what inspired you to start working in the performing arts? Uh, I kind of always done that. I'm from Wales originally, and, you know, I, I'm a Welsh speaker. I went to Welsh school, and, you know, you get exposed to all kind of, like, poetry and song and stupid, you know, uh, historical dancing and all that kind of stuff. So I was always around that. My grandfather was a compere. He was a singer entertainer. Used to like sneak me into like working men's clubs when I was like four years of age. Um, and I used to play rugby, a lot of high level sports. Um, I love rugby, but uh, I always gravitated towards singing and poetry and acting. And I think from quite an early age, I, I knew that's kind of what I wanted to do. I loved films, I loved movies, um, and then I loved going to watch theater. So, it, I, you know, I'm pretty by the book. You know, it's it's been like this from from quite a long, long time back, and it's something that I'd always wanted to do and imagine doing, and uh, you know, I made it happen. And when you say you you made it happen, it's not necessarily the easiest industry to uh, to break into. So, how did you actually make a career out of it? Uh, well, first of all, I mean, I came from a really working class part of Wales and a very working class family, so. Um, it was a bit tricky. First of all, I had to try and work out what to do. So then I, I, I figured I had to do all of the school stuff. So then I tried to get the leads in the school, and I did that. And then after the school, then you're like, what do I do? And then it was the National Theatre of Great Britain. Um, so then I applied for that, and they have like 5,000 people apply every year, and they have 150 spots. And then I got into that. And then you do a three-week course in London. That was when I was 18. <clears throat> And then they do a play in the West End if you get invited to audition it after doing the course. Then I did that. I auditioned for Othello, and I did that and went to the West End, and we did that. And the cast was, like, crazy. It was, like, Chiwetelo Ejiofor was Othello. Um, uh, Orlando Bloom was in it. I was in it. Uh, there was a couple of really other great actors who have done amazing. Jeffrey Stratfield. Yeah, it was amazing. And then we did that. And then I applied for drama school. Um, and it took me three years to get in because I couldn't get the money the first two years. It was really expensive. Uh, but I held out, went to drama school, went to the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts, did three years there with some amazing people in my year, like Don Cooper. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch was around he was in the second year course um, and then got out of school and then started working at the Royal Shakespeare Company um, yeah that's how I made it happen 
<laughs> and how in a nutshell? Yeah, and how important do you think it is for young actors to attend some kind of formal insta tra- uh, training institute like uh, LAMDA? I I actually, you know what? I'm a real advocate of being trained, um, just because the profession you need it's so widespread and in terms of like the type of material you can do. Um, and to have any longevity in the profession, I think you need to have a lot of skills in the wheelhouse. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, so you have to you know different types of genres. You have to uh, an ability to to break down a script, to break down a character, and those are things that you learn over three years. The ability to be with other people, to function as a as a group with people, um, because often you go into these environments you've never met people before and you have to get to know them really quickly um uh, and you know a lot of people think that they can do this and they do and they come out and they get a little bit of success and they don't do it but they don't last long and in order to have a career that you know spans like a great deal of time you know come out of drama school when you're in your early 20s and to think that you'd want to work right until like you you know you probably pop your clogs when you're like 80 90 you would hope um, that's a long time. So you need a lot of tools in the box um, to keep that going. Uh, and I, I just think it gives you a really good foundation. But that's not to say that's the only way. Um, I think anything you put your mind to, and if you really want it, and you think positively about it, you can make anything happen. But you kind of have to do that all the time as an actor. You know, and then you have to use all these skills because you can't just think it. You also have to do the hard work to get there, you know, and that's, you know, practicing and understanding and reading and, you know, and, 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 and being nice to people and being good to work with. There's, there's a whole load of skills. Yeah. Mm. And you mentioned the Royal Shakespeare Company. What was it like performing with them? Because obviously there's a huge level of prestige involved with them, especially in the UK. Yeah, it was weird for me. It was my very first job out of school. It was like within a month. And I'd always wanted to be at the RSC. And we did a really big tour. And I didn't, I didn't have a, I had a bunch of really small, cool parts. Um, but it was a, it was a big job to come straight out of school. We toured for six months, which was kind of amazing. We played all the A houses all around the UK. Um, and then we were at the Barbican in London, and then we were at the uh, the Royal Shakespeare, the, the actual Royal Shakespeare Theatre, the main theatre in uh, in Stratford. So yeah, it was amazing. But it also made me realise that I I think I needed to go and do some other work. That I, the sort of work I was becoming more interested in wasn't necessarily that. So then I work, went and worked with a few more avant-garde companies that did more kind of mask physical work. Um, I then just started exploring lots of different types of companies in theater. And I came back to main house shows and, and had a couple of leads. And yeah, but it, it was great. It was an amazing experience. Did I make the most of it? Maybe I didn't, um, but I learned from that. So, yeah. And would you say your it heart... Was great. Yeah. <laughs> would you say your heart lies more with theater or with screen acting? Listen, I really, really love theatre, and I, if I don't have a regret, and I'll probably come back to it for sure. But I'm really fascinated by, I think, TV and long form series. I 
think I really like. Um, when I did law school, it was a really good opportunity over like six years, seven years to explore a character and take them on a journey in that format, which is really, has been really cool to see how people have responded to that. And it was also great to see that kind of evolution over the series. Um, and I think I did some things right and things I could have done better, but and some things I did really great. Um, and having had a little bit of break of that, of doing the video game, which was also kind of like a very like intense period of time for a year to do like one character in a video game. Um, I'm really interested to go back. So the the Netflix series I just filmed, uh, hopefully, you know, if this continues and the character starts to evolve as it's supposed to, then it, it, that'll be really great to take that on a much bigger level. And I do want to talk about the video game Assassin's Creed for a moment because you didn't just do the voice work for it, but they put you in the motion capture suit. So what is that process like? That process is essentially like... it was, it was good for me because I'd done a lot of theater and then I started to do a lot of TV and film and I'd just come to the end of doing law school and then I got this. And it was like the perfect marriage of my experience as an actor over the, you know, 15 years, which was like seven, six, seven years of theater and then six, seven years of TV and film that I was able to marry those two because it's essentially like filming a movie except you're in a big padded cell. So you have to have all the expertise and skills of being on set and filming in front of cameras, but at the same time, you're in a space where there's nothing. So you have to have the imagination of a theater actor. So, yeah, it was really the perfect marriage for me at that point in time, and it was it was great because I was able to use all these skills in this environment that was new to me, but in, in lots of ways familiar. Um, and I loved it. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was liberating to a degree. Um, it was liberating within working with it. The only thing is it's, it's tricky when you do all that work and then there's a rendered character, which is kind of, it's been weird for me because it's like, I usually like to see, like to see myself and I can kind of see myself in it. You know what I mean? Mm. So it seems like my work, but it's not entirely my work. So, and that's that. That's that, that's been odd. And that's the one thing about motion capture and video games. Is I really loved it. It was amazing. And Jacobs was a, a great, fun character. I, 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 you know, I got to do. I think I hit a lot of things I wanted to do with that character. But uh, yeah, whether I keep going back, I didn't want to continue in that field at that point in time. So I just wanted to go back to TV and film and creating people. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, speaking of people, you're about to come to Australia and and meet a lot of people who are your fans and who are fans of the the TV and film genres uh, at Supernova in Adelaide and Brisbane. What do you love about doing conventions? What do I love about conventions? Um, Well, number one, obviously, you get to really meet the people. And I've had some very cool experiences from meeting people. Um, and you know, when you have you're on series, like when we were in Alaska, we had fans that would travel around all kinds of places and they were, you know, the same people turning up in big groups and you kind of get to know them after a while and they become kind of almost part of your family to a degree. Um, and I, I've really loved that element and I've loved some of the experiences of things that 
I wouldn't have. Like, I didn't realize how much of an effect sometimes the work has on people. Like, <clears throat> one quick story was after we did the video game, um, I went to Liverpool and Birmingham to do two MCM Comic-Cons. And they were the first ones that um, Victoria and I had done post-finishing the game. Um, and we were we had people in line. And then all of a sudden, this one kid came up and his parents were with him. And then they shoveled off to the side and then they started filming um, with a video camera. And it's kind of, you know, it's not the dumb thing, right? Because you usually have to ask and you don't really film it. But I thought, fuck it, I'll let it go. Um, but, and the kid seemed like, you know, it, it was like, he was somewhere on the spectrum. And I was like, okay, this kid is like, you know, somewhere in that realm. And then we went to Birmingham and exactly the same thing happened again. It was like exactly the same thing. A kid came up, the parents went off, they started filming it. And I was like, okay, I've got to stop this. So I went over and I went, listen, I, I, I'm just going to ask. This isn't usually the dumb thing to film. I just asked, why are you doing this? And they were like, oh, well, the thing is, like, our son is autistic and we've never seen our son have any emotion like this or get involved in anything like this ever before. And this is like something completely new for us. And I was like, wow, that's kind of amazing that the, this, the, the child had like resonated so much with this character, was dressed up, the whole thing. And it really, for, for them, it was like a big moment. And they were like, we don't know, I really know anything about the game that much. We just know that our son loves this game. And this is a big moment for us. Um, and sometimes you get moments like that and you're like, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. That certainly would be quite a so, special yeah. thing, yeah. Yeah, and you get moments like that all the time, particularly with Lost Girl, where, you know, we would have people that, you know, really would would have come out, you know, to their parents or would have made a completely different life choice based on the fact that, you know, they, they saw themselves in this show that, you know, gave them the confidence and... Uh, and the courage to make a decision that, you know, they wanted to make in, in, in a real life situation, you know? So those things are very cool about comms as well. And you get to hear those stories and that, that those things are, are real <laughs> in something that is very unreal. Absolutely. Well, Paul, that is unfortunately all the time we have with you today, but thank you so much for talking to me and uh, no I hope worries. to see you in Australia, in Adelaide and Brisbane soon. Lovely. Okay, well, you have a good day. That was the lovely Paul Amos. Now, here's my chat with Sailor Moon's Linda Ballantyne. Linda, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, when did you first fall in love with the performing and acting industries? You know, I think that acting was always in my blood. I think I had to do it. Um, in life, I was always the one that was, you know, really outgoing and always wanting to get on a stage. And so luckily my parents sort of saw that and didn't try to hold me back, but I never, ever thought that it could ever be a profession. I sort of thought that, okay, people whose parents were actors, they became actors. And it wasn't until, you know, I was almost finished high school that I sort of thought, I, I really want to do this. I really love doing this. And, and I said to my drama teacher in high school, who I loved, 
I said, you know, I, I, this is going to sound crazy, but I, I'm, I'm sort of thinking of going into acting. He says, I think it sounds crazy if you don't go into acting. And I went, oh, okay, okay. And luckily my parents were fine with it, and, uh, and I went with it. Because, you know, when you've got somebody in your back pocket who's uh, cheering for you, it, it you know, makes you go far, for sure. Certainly. And once you decided that you did want to pursue it professionally and it was something you could do, how do you make it happen? Because it's not the easiest industry to break into. Oh, you have got that right. You know, I, I went to theater school. I went to one theater school for one year and hated it and thought, I don't want to be a tree for the rest of my life. Cause that's how it felt like, you know, I was just going to be playing part in trees and stuff like this on stage. And so I took time off and I started working and, and, you know, I was working in stores and things like that, just retail, but I also was getting jobs, um, on TV shows and doing commercials and, and whatnot. And I was doing okay, but I just didn't feel like I had any kind of direction. And I worked on one TV show and one of the women that was working on it with me, I said to her, you know, so what else do you do? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, what other job do you do? You know, you're not just acting. And she said, you know, I woke up one day and I said, I did not get into acting. I didn't go to theater school so that I could wait on tables. And I just decided that day that, that, that all I was going to do from now on was acting. And she quit her job and that was it. And I was sort of going, what? what are you, are you, wow, I want to do that. And that's when I decided to go back to theater school, and that gave me the direction that I really needed. And after that, that's all I've ever done is act. And at what point did voiceover work and voice acting enter the equation? Well, when I was at theater school, they have all kinds of different courses there. You know, they've got movement, um, vocal technique, you know, everything. And one of the courses they had was microphone technique. And as soon as I got in front of the microphone and had those headsets on and, you know, could hear the spit between my teeth kind of thing, I just fell in love with it. And I just immediately got it. I knew, I knew how I could, you know, how to lose myself in it because that's what you're really doing. You're, you've got to lose yourself in your own mind, seeing all the other characters. Because when you're voice acting, most of the time, you're only doing your lines. Nobody else is in the room with you. So you're just spewing out these lines that don't necessarily make sense unless somebody else's lines are in there. But I just sort of, I, I figured it out in my own head of how, how I could make it bigger or, you know, what, where I needed to go with it. And when I graduated from theater school, I already had an agent. And I went over to my agent and I said, I, I think I want to get into voice acting. They said, oh, well, you know, you need to have a, you need to have a demo. And I said, I've got one. He said, okay, well, you know what, we'll, we'll listen to it and, you know, we'll, we'll send you out for an audition and we'll see how you do. And the first audition I, I did, I got. And so they believed in me and that was it. After that, it was just, I just, you know, they just kept sending me out and I just had more and more fun. Mm. And obviously you've, you've mentioned theatre school a lot. How important do you think going to a formal training institution is for young actors? Well, it's funny because a lot of people now, there's a lot of people who want to get into voice acting. It, it seems to be the hot thing right now. And, uh, you know, so many people say, you know, people tell me I've got a good voice. And, you know, I've always thought of going into that. And I always say to them, can you act? That's the first thing that I say. You know, it's great. You do have a great voice. I, I don't have a particularly incredible voice, I don't think. But I can act. And, and so it is, it is a key thing, I think. I think that the people that go the furthest are the ones who have been trained, in my estimation. But, you know, it's, 
it's all changing now with, you know, with computers. When I started out, there weren't computers. You couldn't just get online or anything like that and, and, you know, get onto the internet and listen to things and then mimic it or send it out, anything like that. You had to, you had to slog it out and try and figure out how to do it on your own. So you, yeah, technology has changed a lot and as such, the industry has evolved. What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen over the past 25 years? Oh, are you kidding me? I mean, when I, when I first started, they were still, they were just getting out of it, but they still had reel to reel. So they would literally, you know, when you screwed up a, a take, they would have to take that and they'd have to slice it, physically slice it, take the thing, the piece out that you had screwed up. Then they would put it back together and tape it back together. I mean, now you just go onto a computer, you can do it yourself. I mean, I can, I can take things and send it out and say, here you go. This is, this is what you need. Fantastic. It's, it's, it's bizarre. It's, it's amazing how much it's changed actually. I mean, even from, you know, when, when I, when I recorded Sailor Moon, that was done on what, a uh, a system that's called the Rhythmo band. And they literally had cellular film, like a film that you would, you know, regular film for movies that they wrote the lines on and it was perfectly synced and it was handwritten that they wrote these lines on and it was perfectly synced with the lip flaps of each character. So you would have to follow exactly along when this, when the word came over to a certain line, you would watch the thing go across and as soon as it hit that line, you said that word and that would be in sync with the character's mouth. It was it was really unbelievable. Now it's so easy. Like, you know, it's all computer driven and, you know, you get, you get on there and a word lights up, everything's in green. And then when you're supposed to say the word, it lights up in yellow and holy cow, it's like sing along with the bouncing ball. And what about from a consumer point of view, obviously how people consume media has changed. Do you think those changes are for better or for worse? I think it's got to be for the better because it's everything is just so accessible now. You know, every, everything's just at everybody's fingertips. It's it's really quite remarkable. Is is that what you mean? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, it's it's better now, man. <laughs> like, I mean, we you can I can get on, go online and listen to anybody else's performance or see anything that I want, and it's all there. Everything is is at your fingertips. So, man, back in the day, I'll tell you, oh, it was very different. <laughs> I look at my own kids when they have to write essays right now, and I just I, I say, are you kidding me? I used to write them out by hand, and then I'd have to type them on a typewriter. Oh my God, I sound so old right now. Help me, help me. <laughs> But uh, look, do you think it's easier for good content to get lost now, though? Because there is so much out there. Would some of the shows that were successful even sort of find that audience now? Well, no, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, there's so many, there's so many platforms now that um, you know they can be on. You know, with Netflix and Amazon, everything. Like, there's just so many. So. I, I think people find it. I mean, I'll say to someone, oh, I remember I was, I was at a convention one time and I, I said, they, they asked me, you know, like, what are some of the things, the funny things fans have done or whatever? And I said, you know, there's one time this one guy wanted me to do this one scene from Sailor Moon. And I said, oh, God, I can't remember it all. He said, I know it. And he had it completely memorized because he'd watched it so many times. So he started 
saying the lines to me and I was to feed back the lines as Sailor Moon. <laughs> it was it was remarkable. But he had found this one this one scene that was actually my favorite one of my favorite scenes and he knew that it was my favorite scene and I mean he just he digs around and they find it. Are you kidding? There's some people that can find they'll find anything. <laughs> it's all it's all out there. It's swimming around out there somewhere. Certainly. And obviously Sailor Moon is is perhaps the show you're you're best known from. When did you realize that that was going to change how people perceived you, that you were going to have fans? Uh, It wasn't for years and years and years after. In fact, I I rarely ever told people that I was Sailor Moon (laughs) because I really didn't think it was anything that major. And it wasn't until I had one fan, one fan reach out to me and uh, he reached out to me on Facebook and just said, hi, you know, I'm, I'm, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm a really big fan. I was like, oh, my God, I have one fan. This is, this is really weird. Oh, my goodness. And he talked me into going to a Comic-Con. And when I went to the Comic-Con, I had more than one fan. And I was shocked. I was shocked. I had no idea. And it really opened my eyes to, you know, when I, when I said to them, I, I didn't, I, didn't, I had no idea. And they just looked at me like I had four heads and said, are you kidding me? Are you crazy? And I, okay, I, I just didn't realize. I didn't know. So that's when I started going to a lot more Comic-Cons because I realized, ah, you know, you, you sort of, you want to give back because they were always there for it. You know, these fans, it's, it's quite, it's amazing. It's really amazing. It's shocking, actually. It must be quite a shock, especially your first Comic-Con because those events are huge. Yeah, and the first one was it was crazy. It was and it was it was an anime one, so it was even like the fact that any Sailor Moon characters were there, they just went insane over. And then, you know, and and it's very weird because you know, as a voice actor, no one recognizes you. No one really knows what you look like. Sometimes they do now because they've you know they've seen me online or something like this, or they've maybe been to a Comic Con, but. You know, especially in those early days, you, you know, you walk around and no one knows who you are. And I'd say, oh, my God, I really like your Sailor Moon outfit. And I want to say to them, I, I was actually the voice of Sailor Moon. But I, I don't want to because I just sort of go, oh, that sounds so stupid. It sounds like you're blowing your own horn. Oh, Linda. Oh, Linda. And I've slowly learned, oh, no, they actually like it when you tell them that. <laughs> so now I, I tell them a little bit more often. <laughs> Well, you are coming to Australia to uh, to partake in two conventions, Supernova in Adelaide and in Brisbane. What are you most looking forward to about coming down under? Oh, oh. Well, aside from everything, aside from getting to hang out with my little friend Katie Griffin the whole time, which is like a dream come true because we're kind of like best friends in real life. So, you know, the fact that we get to go and travel together, but we all, oh, I just... I wish that I had more time to see more of the countryside, but I tell you, I'm going to eat up whatever chance I get because it is just so different from where we are. (laughs) What am I most excited for? Well, aside from the fact that it's going to be the beginning of winter for us, there's that. (laughs) (laughs) And nobody likes that in Canada. Let's just face the facts. It's a miserable winter. Um, You know what? The food as well. I I was in Australia once before, and the food was off the charts. I had no idea. It was the best food I've ever had in my life. Well, we will get the food ready for you. And I know all the fans are going to be in Adelaide and Brisbane. Looking forward to seeing you at Supernova. Linda, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you so much, Benjamin. I had a great time. Thanks so much. To finish off today's podcast, here's my chat with Supernatural star Mark Shepard. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, Mark, and thank you so much for joining me today. 
Hi, nice to speak to you. Now, you started out in music. Can you explain to me how you transitioned from playing the drums to being an actor? Well, my father, my, my father who just passed this year was, um, was a, a, a well-known character actor, and I sort of always avoided being an actor. But a lot of people uh, were always trying to put me into something or get me to do something. And I sort of intersected with the storytelling aspect of, of, of acting and music. I think they sort of cross. And, um, you know, opportunities came up and arose to had arisen to uh, uh, to do a play in Los Angeles and, and and I did a play and from that play I then did In the Name of the Father and then I started killing people on American television. So it was kind of fun. It certainly sounds like it. And did you do any specific acting training? Because obviously you've had great success and a lot of actors, you know, just never quite get there. Now, funnily enough, I didn't start training or, or go to classes until after I'd actually started working. I found it really interesting when I wasn't working to go and uh, learn some other things. I was fascinated by uh, Michael Chekhov's um, uh, 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 take on, on, on method acting, which is very different than the Stanislavski method. And I did a little Meisner and I did a few other things, but uh, I tended to work a lot, and I was lucky enough to be in, in great company. I, I, I think I, I directed before I acted, really, and um, those things are sort of synonymous. I think the whole thing sort of runs together as a big ball of storytelling more than anything else. Mm. And is there a particular type of story that you're attracted to telling? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've always said there's two types of story two types of characters that are worth playing which is you know either the guy that sells them out or sells the planet out before they ever leave the planet the sort of dr zachary smith from lost, lost in space of which there are many like uh you know william h macy and in, in fargo those sort of characters which are, are just fascinating to me where you know they're, they're uh i guess their their path is almost sort of preordained in stories and the other type of person is the, you know, the last sane man in the universe, to which I've had so much fun playing us. So, you know, it's funny because everyone always asks me why, why I do so much genre stuff or what is called genre stuff. And I think it's where the greatest stories are told. I think it's where the imagination really lies. I mean, procedurals are a lot of fun to do. Um, and historical um, stories are, are, are amazing to do. I mean, you, you absolutely... You know, you have a responsibility to the to the origins of the story and the actual history. But when you're doing something like Battlestar, you're creating history, I guess, and and the imagination fit, tends to figure a lot more. So and, um, you know, I think I've had a lot more fun in those in those areas. I just guess I've been really lucky with the writers that I work with. I've got some wonderful friends, wonderful writer friends. I've I've, I've been written for by by some very very extraordinarily talented people. And um, it always makes me a little nervous when they, they hear something that we think you should be doing. But uh, it seems to have turned out pretty well. It certainly has. So what piece of work would you say you're most proud of? I'm proud of a lot of things. Um, it's an odd... It's an odd I mean, it's like... Um, it's an odd, to, odd thing to think about because 
as though I'm done and I've retired and I'm looking back at something. But um, I've just been lucky that the, the things that I've enjoyed the most, the audiences have enjoyed the most. Does that make sense? It's a, mm. it's, it's an odd thing. It's that um, the things that I've most loved are the things that, that have funnily enough been most popular. So a lot of them were game changers for me to, you know, to work on In the Name of the Father as my first film. You know, but it was an extraordinary experience. The people I was working with, the, the, the director and the actors, obviously, that I worked with, were, you know, were extraordinary performers. But that was, you know, nearly a year of my life. And then to go into things like, you know, First Season X-Files and, and, and Battlestar. I mean, I loved doing Battlestar. Battlestar was a wonderful experience. Firefly was a wonderful experience. Who was a wonderful experience? Um, you know, eight years of supernatural is is an extraordinary experience. I mean, that's that was my home for a very very long time, and and there was a lot of fun there, and a lot of love there. And you're right; these shows are loved so much by fans. What was your first fan experience? When did you realize that you had you know your own group of fans who loved your work? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I've been lucky enough to play somewhat interesting characters as opposed to. Uh, having, I don't really blend in very well. So I've been lucky enough to play characters that are pivotal to stories or, or change stories or carry parts of stories. So in, in that way, you know, whether, whether I'm memorable or not may not be the point, but the characters that I've been afforded to play have been, uh, I think, a lot of them have resonated with fans within the stories that are there. Again, it goes down to the writers. It comes to the fact that, you know, Joss created Badger for um, for himself, and then when he wasn't allowed to do it, you know, wanted to find somebody that had the same sort of sensibility that he did in that way. And so he was very protective of it within the story. He was very... Um, it meant a lot to him, if you, if you know what I'm saying. And then, you know, I was lucky enough that, 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 you know, Battlestar, the role in Battlestar Roma was written for me. I had no idea it was being written for me. And, um, you know, again, that's, that's the thing being handed. You're, you're being handed a baton in, in the middle of a story which I was already watching that I thought was incredible. And then to be given a, a prime role in that story is just fascinating to me. So, you know, and, and having those sort of, you know, going back to your point, your question is that, you know, those are great storytellers. Those people that I've worked with are lucky enough, are great, are great storytellers. And I've been placed in great stories with great characters to play, I think. And, and I think that's what resonates with the audience. And I've always been aware that people enjoyed, you know, there were, there were fans of, of, of those roles. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing. In the, in the old days, it was more like, you know, oh, you're that guy, or I saw you in, did I see you, or don't I know you from somewhere? And it sort of has evolved a lot. I mean, Supernatural is a big part of that. But, you know, it's a daily thing. It's like my name is used now. It's like, you know, oh, you're Mark Shepard, or are you Mark Shepard? It's, it's just a lovely thing. And, you know, to be told by somebody that they enjoy the work that you've done is, is the most incredible blessing. I mean, how can, you know, how can you not be happy when somebody says, I love what you do? It's just a... It's a lovely, lovely feeling. It, it makes it all worthwhile. And you think I come from live music and I come from live theater, and you have an instant audience, and the audience responds in, in, immediately to what it is that you're doing, and you have this organic connection. And when you're making television or you're making something that's really complex sci-fi, for example, 
people don't see it with you. They're not, they're not watching it with you. They're not watching it being created. So there's this massive pause between the time that you finish doing the job and somebody else sees it. And so it's that, uh, the reason why I go to conventions, the reason why, reason why I'm going to Supernova is, you know, to, to complete that circle. Because, you know, I hate the word fan because, it, you know, the, the, uh, the, the connotation of fanatic is just always so derogatory. And it was created in a very derogatory fashion. And, and you know, you still see it on the news. It's like people make fun of people who think we dress up in furry suits because you, you like sci-fi, you know? Hmm. But the truth is that, that, that you know, we, we changed that with Supernatural. We, we called it the Supernatural family rather than fandom. And to reconnect with those people once you've created something is just the most wonderful, organic feeling. You know, there's actors I've known for years that had never done conventions and didn't know what they were about. And I said, do it. You'll love it. It'll, it'll, it'll exhaust you, but you'll love it. You'll get to meet your audience in the same way, almost, as performing in front of them. And the guest talks are my favorite thing to do. You know, meeting people who have a genuine affection for the work that I've done or am doing, uh, you know, they have the same affection I do for it. And it, and you know, society is always pilloried for people for that. But uh, I think the geeks have inherited the earth, and, and it's now it's you know a, a much cooler thing. I enjoy it so much. I enjoy meeting those that that support our show and or shows, and 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 love what we do. It's the most fantastic experience. And I'm sure all all of the uh, of the, the fans and the family are excited to meet you at Supernova Brisbane and Adelaide this November. Now, just before I let you go, is there anything you can tell us about the upcoming season of Doom Patrol? Um, well, if, if I'm lucky enough to be back on the show, which I which I hope I am, um, I, I just think it's one of the most extraordinary pieces of television that's been made. I, I think Jeremy and and the rest of the crew are just extraordinary I've, I've, I've yet again I found another thing I've been placed in another thing that is so special uh, if you haven't seen it I think it's on it's coming out Fox 8 I think it's on it might be is it, I don't know if it's Netflix in Australia but it might be Netflix in Australia um, but there's you know you can definitely get it now it was very difficult to obtain last year or throughout the year and, and I'm excited to see what people think of it I think it's a very very special thing and the dilemma that, uh, that has, has, has resulted at the end of season one should be really, really interesting. I mean, it was, it was a great comic book in the 60s. Grant Morrison reimagined it in the 80s into this brilliantly insane uh, concept. And, 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 and now Jeremy has taken it with his, with his team of extraordinary writers and I think absolutely amazing actors to create a show that is not like any other show on television. And I hope, I hope everybody just tries to... Go back, start in season one, watch it, and look forward to season two. Well, I can't wait to see it, and we can't wait to see you here in Australia for Supernova. Mark, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you. I love Australia. My wife's an Australian, very proud Australian. I love every time I come over. It's, an, it's another slice of home. It's, sort of, uh, it's, it's one of the best places in the world to be. I, I, I truly love travelling there every time I come. And we love having you. Thanks again, Mark. Thank you. 
That was my chat with a lovely Mark Shepard. Now, that is all we have time for on today's show. Now, don't forget to follow me over on social media, Instagram, Benjamin Mayer McKay, Twitter, Benjamin MM underscore, and Facebook, search my name and just look for the blue check mark. Thanks, as always, to our incredible supporters. Their details are on the website. I've been your host, Benjamin Mayer McKay. See you next time. <laughs>